All right, everyone, what's going on? Another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast on Thursday, the 12th of November in the year of our Lord, 2020. How's it going, guys? CJ Baumgartner again. Another installment of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here. A lot of craziness going on in the world still hasn't, uh, you know, hasn't uh, resolved a lot. Still a lot of stuff going on, I know, here in Minnesota. Uh, COVID cases high, all that kind of stuff. New, uh, new measures coming in from the state and all that. So just take a moment to forget about this and just kind of take a step back and, uh, and just kind of enjoy the Minnesota Sports scene with all the craziness going on at least uh, at least we still have sports to kind of uh, to kind of fall back on so let's dive right into your Minnesota Vikings who are on a hot streak we're going to continue the hashtag positivity here um kind of uh so the positivity here um depends on how what angle you're looking at but the positivity here for Mike Zimmer and, and fans of Mike Zimmer is that Mike Zimmer probably saved his job in this stretch he saved his job by beating Green Bay on the road. That was huge. That that could that might have been the case to just save him alone is the fact of that you march into Lambeau and you beat a Green Bay team that uh, that was rolling up until that point. And then you beat uh, division rival Detroit at home. So you get yourself out of the basement in the NFC North. So you, if you're Zimmer, you go to management, you say we beat Green Bay on the road. We dug ourselves out of the hole we got ourselves in. Like we like the hard part of our schedule's over. And while it was lackluster to say the least, at least. While it was lackluster to say the least, we there, there's still that positive feeling going forward that this schedule is very much softer. And we'll break that down in a second. But, but uh, again, uh, we we you know Mike Zimmer saved his job in the sense of he got those two key division wins. And we talked a couple shows ago about Mike Zimmer could be really in danger of losing his job because back then the Lions were you know it was like they're the Lions. You, you can't really tell like are they mediocre or are they bad. We couldn't really tell. Now we know after watching this week that they're bad. They're really bad. They're really really bad. If they don't finish in last place, that's probably going to be on the fault of the Minnesota Vikings or the ineptitude of the offense of the Chicago Bears. We'll get to that in a second. But but man, you know the, the Lions are bad, and I could spend a whole podcast talking about how bad the Lions are. Matt Patricia bad. This defense bad. Their offensive play calling, bad. Um, just everything about them is bad. The fact that they have two, you know, they have Swift and they have Carry on Johnson. And the fact that they kept trying to hand the ball off to Adrian Peterson, who God bless his soul for still playing in the NFL, but man, it's, it's tough to watch. It's, it's very tough to watch. Not even the fact of seeing him in a Lions uniform. It's just tough to watch to see that guy try and run around the field. It's just not pretty. Um, the Lions are bad. So Mike Zimmer, uh, anyway, so Mike Zimmer saved his job because, again, the Lions, we didn't really know quite a couple weeks ago kind of how bad or how good they were. Were they good enough to at least beat this bad Vikings team? How bad were the Vikings? We really couldn't tell. Um, So the answer for the Vikings probably is mediocre, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, And then now coming into Chicago. So if... If they would have lost all three of these games, I was like, that's it. You got to fire Zimmer. Like, there's just no saving this team. You you embarrass yourself against your entire division and all that kind of stuff. One game at home, one game at primetime on the road at Soldier Field where things tend to get weird anyways. So that would have done it. But Mike Zimmer going two for two so far, having a chance to complete the trifecta, which would push the Vikings to a winning record in the division. And with a matchup Detroit and uh, Chicago coming up, if Zimmer were to win and the Vikings were to win on Sunday, they probably have a winning they probably have at least a 500 record in the division, if not a winning record in the division, which at the beginning of the season, kind of after that first month, uh, definitely wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have definitely seen that coming. So it, Mike Zimmer saved his job in these few games, and I think today solidified it. It's like, oh, we're not the worst team in the North. Like, and that's not always the measure you want to go with, but he's like, look, things aren't pretty this season, but we're not Detroit. We're not that big of a dumpster fire. Let me work my magic. We're we're rebuilding. We're reloading. We tried to tell. We tried to lie to ourselves that we could compete. We're not. But here's what we're gonna do. And now we also think we're gonna compete. So 
this team will mess around and go 7-9. and nine. That's just a fact. Um, we joked about it before when the Vikings started off as bad as they did, and it's like, okay, they have two options. They have two paths they're going to go down. They're either going to keep losing to the point where they're going to get a high draft pick, and you're like, oh, that'd be nice. We could get a high draft pick, potentially draft a quarterback of the future, or at least use that draft capital to trade with other teams to acquire more draft capital, all that kind of stuff, accumulate picks, all that kind of stuff, especially when you lost your second-round pick. So, you know, whatever, or, or just get a really good player at, the, at any position. Um, or they're going to mess around and go like 6-10, and 7-9, and 8-8, 9-7 8, is this team's ceiling, you know, and make the playoffs maybe. Or, or at the very least, they're going to mess around to the point where they get like a pick in the teens. A draft pick that doesn't really help you that much. I, I mean, you still have a chance to get a good player, but in the sense of having a chance to be at the top end of the draft to be able to draft some of the best players of the incoming class you know, you had that chance and you're blowing it right now. So, and we'll get into that in a second, but, but this team will mess around and go seven and nine. I think that's my prediction right now as we kind of sit at this midway point of the season. Yeah. Midway point, they've played eight games so far. Um, it's, uh, you know, they're three and five. They have an easy part of their schedule coming up. This team is going to mess around and go seven and nine and they're going to screw themselves out of a, they're not going to make the playoffs, but then they're also going to screw themselves out of getting a good draft pick. And then they'll just be stuck in mediocrity where they're probably going to draft like a nose tackle or a guard with their first round pick, which is all necessary. I'm not not trying to make it sound like I don't want them to get better at those positions. But when you had a chance in a very deep quarterback draft class to be towards the top, it, it was a it was a very rare opportunity. And for them to miss that, for them to, you know, for them, at least looks like they're going to miss that to where it's like, okay, we're not going to be able to be at the high end of the draft. So if we want to get up there, we're going to have to trade. Well, what are we going to trade? First round pick for next year? Rick really doesn't like giving up first round picks unless you absolutely have to. Um, You know, you got to find the very right guy to do that. And that's still a lot of capital and it's still a big risk because you're giving up your first-round draft pick next year. I mean, look at the Texans and all the first-round draft picks they've given up on and and all that kind of stuff. So it's a very risky proposition because um, then if you continue to be bad, you don't even get to reap the rewards of that and have a high draft pick. It goes to some other team. Um, so be, you, know, you, you take yourself out of that spot to where you have to trade up to get in there, and you don't have that second-round pick you don't have that extra luxury because you traded that and all that on all that kind of stuff. So it was, I, they're playing themselves out of this position. I, I, I don't know what other way to say it. They had a good chance. They blew it. They're going to be in the mid teens and they're going to, they're, they're going to blow this away. But anyway, back to the hashtag positivity, Dalvin Cook threw himself into the MVP conversation. It was the Dalvin Cook show on Sunday. I mean, I, I can't say it any, I can't, find any other words to describe Dalvin Cook other than he is the heartbeat of this team. He is not Adrian Peterson in a way. He's not Adrian Peterson in the way in his style of play at all. Dalvin Cook is more of a read and react. He's a slasher. He's a zone read kind of guy where Adrian Peterson was just, I'm going to run straight ahead and I'm going to run over everyone. That was Adrian Peterson's style of play. Dalvin Cook is, I'm going to be slippery. I'm going to read the hole. I'm going to catch passes out of the backfield. I'm going to wait for my play to develop. I'm going to do all this stuff. Adrian Peterson was like, I'm going to run on my offensive lineman's heels if they don't move out of the way. I don't need a fullback because fullbacks just get in my way. And all that kind of uh, all that kind of stuff. But Dalvin Cook, you know, people are saying, is he better than Adrian Peterson? I mean, he, he doesn't have the staying power. Adrian Peterson obviously playing the league for years and years and played for the Vikings for years and years. So, 
I'm going to say no for now, but Dalvin Cook, if he continues at this pace, Dalvin Cook's going to be better than Adrian Peterson, and Adrian Peterson was the best running back of his era. So, potentially one of the greatest running backs of all time, at least in that top tier. Again, I don't I don't judge players on a 1-2-3 because I think it's just pointless. I think you just basically got to put them in tiers. You have to put players in in that kind of, okay, these are like godlike tiers. Like these guys are just so good. Nobody's ever going to come close to being this good. And then guys were like, these are really good players. They had flaws, but they were, they were very good. And guys were just kind of meh. Adrian Peterson is in that kind of god level tier. And Dalvin Cook's in that very good player tier. And if he keeps on this pace, you know, he will be that. I'm talking all time. I'm talking all time in that sense. In terms of today's league, Dalvin Cook's one of the best. He's in that top tier. He is great. All the things he can do. Um, and Dalvin Cook, I mean, there's not much more you can say. If you've watched the games, you just know Dalvin Cook does everything right. Waits for his blocks to develop, catches passes out of the backfield, gives props to his linemen, his teammates, all that kind of stuff. Uh, gives them the ball to spike after every touchdown to kind of solidify like, hey, this is because of you. You know, I'm in the end zone because of you guys, all this kind of stuff. You know, there's nothing Dalvin Cook does wrong on the field. And that's great. And this offense is built the same way Adrian Peterson was built in the fact of without Dalvin Cook, they're done. Without Adrian Peterson, that Vikings, for a majority of Adrian's career, it was like, okay, AP's not playing, or they found a way to contain AP, it's over. Or at least we have a very, very, very steep hill to climb. And whether it was Ponder, whether it was McNabb, or Castle, or Webb, or anybody up until Teddy Bridgewater, because Adrian Peterson only really had kind of one season with Teddy, and and that was very much a power struggle uh, with Peterson in the offensive kind of mind uh, trying to get, trying to build the offense more to Teddy, where Adrian really didn't want to. But, but even still, uh, you know, when they found a way to contain Adrian, based on the way the Vikings built their offenses, it was very hard to try and win a game after that. And the Vikings are set up the exact same way. It just feels the exact same way as Adrian Peterson. And it kind of remind, and seeing Adrian on Sunday kind of reminded me, like, oh yeah, these offenses are kind of built the exact same way. They're built through their running back. Now they're built, a, they're not exactly the same, but they're they're built very similar is built around their running back who can do a lot of things well or can do you know who's just a great player and can just suck up all the attention but if they find a way to contain him your offense can't do anything but here's the biggest thing between Adrian's offenses and Cook's offenses Delvin Cook has wide receivers he has tight end I mean Adrian Peterson I mean, he really, Percy Harvin for a little bit, but whether he was hurt or he didn't play that often. And, and Thielen and Diggs really kind of emerged as Peterson was coming out the door, so he didn't really get those guys. You know, I mean, who did he have? Uh, Vizante Shanko. Um, I'm trying to think kind of in the more more years where AP was literally just carrying this on. Devin Aroma should do. Uh, Greg Camarillo. Uh, Michael Jenkins. Um, Jerome Simpson. I mean, you just pull a name out of the hat. Some of the guy, why Adrian Peterson didn't have weapons. This Vikings offense has weapons. They have, they have Justin Jefferson, who's emerging. They have Adam Thielen, who's been a mainstay in the NFL. They have Kyle Rudolph. They have an emerging Irv Smith. They have, you know, a, an offensive line that's been blocking much better over the last few weeks. Now, whether how much of that is Dalvin or how much of that is the line, but I mean, still, this offensive line is doing a much better job. They're kind of coming together as a unit, um, and and that's great to see. And Adrian didn't have all of those luxuries, but the point still remains the same: is that if you can shut them down. It's, if you can shut the running back down, the offense has a the offense has almost a non has almost a zero percent chance of winning. But the thing is, is Adrian's teams it kind of made sense because there were no skill players. But with this current Vikings team, this is no excuse. Like 
if you want to make Dalvin Cook the main centerpiece of your offense, that's fine. He's one of the most special players in the NFL. But at least if they stop him, you have to be like, okay, well, we have we have uh, Thielen, we have Jefferson, we have you know Rudolph Irv, we have kind of we have this we have enough guys to at least be able to make it work to be able to punish you enough to be like, okay, now you got to respect the pass and now we can continue to run again. And Kirk is a quarterback that excels on play action and that when a good running game and Kirk can make teams bite on the play action, he's great when he rolls out. He's got that kind of skill set. But man, the, the I, and this is just why is just because the last two Vikings wins have felt like no shows for Kirk Cousins. When Dalvin is running, it's basically just don't mess it up, and that's fine. But what happens when you go into Chicago on on Monday Night Football, national televised game, Kirk's 0-8, 0-9 on Monday Night Football in his career, whatever, but it's something that they're going to talk about. Um, you know, They're going to shut down Dalvin Cook. They're going to say, Kirk Cousins needs to beat us. And this Vikings team needs to be able... And this isn't a rag on Kirk Cousins as, as much. Like, yeah, it's like a critique, but it's but it's not... I'm not critiquing Kirk Cousins in a sense. I'm critiquing the way that this offense is built right now. The way that this offense is built is basically live by the Dalvin, die by the Dalvin. So if Dalvin has a bad game, you're done. But this Vikings offense is too talented to be built that way. They need to be able to at least have a little bit of a mix. And that falls on the head coach. And that's been the biggest critique of Zimmer is wanting to, to build his team solely on a... On a you know, not necessarily a run first, like we're going to, we want three yards in a cloud of dust kind of running, but basically the, my running back is very special and we are going to kind of take the, take the game out of the quarterback's hands as much as we can. And in today's NFL, that's just not the best recipe for success. It's not. But again, the Vikings are still talented enough to win games. So if Chicago can shut down Dalvin Cook on Sunday or Monday night, Kirk Cousins needs to step up. This offense needs to step up. Gary Kubiak's play calling, the way that Mike Zimmer kind of wants to attack this team, everything that they go into, it's like you 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 need to be able to do that. I mean, I know Chicago's defense is as good as they are, but this is a game where if you really want to prove to yourselves that you're a team that can try and mess around with a playoff spot, or you're a, you know you're a coach who wants to show ownership and all this kind of stuff that you deserve to still be around after this season and that you can win big games on the road in prime time with your quarterback who's not known to do a lot of that stuff and and after the way you started the year and to be able to bounce back and and all this kind of extracurricular stuff that goes into it um, you need to be able to they're going to try and shut down Dalvin Cook they're going to go wholesale to shut down Dalvin Cook so you need to be able to have that answer and that and you need to be able to have that answer so We'll see what happens. Now, again, Soldier Field, things are just weird. Anytime the Vikings play at Soldier Field, weird stuff happens. Um, you know, you could go back to Halloween 2016 where the Vikings were like 5-1. and one. Chicago had like one win on the year, winless or whatever, and, and they just make a mockery of the Vikings. You look, um, you know, to even last year where Chase Daniel comes in the game and the Vikings still look like they have no idea how to cover. So, I mean, any, I mean, anytime they go into Soldier Field, it's just ripe for chaos. It's just ripe for for weird things to happen. Or uh, Sunday Night Football a couple of years ago where they were in Soldier Field and, and Kirk Cousins was just a complete no-show and the game was just sloppy. It was ugly. Um, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Monday Night Football in 2017 where Bradford looked awful and Case Keenum had to come in the second half of the game and all all this kind of stuff. There's just a lot. Of, there's just a lot of chaos when it comes into the Vikings playing at Soldier Field. And I expect that chaos to continue in a COVID year. You know, no fans, all this kind of stuff and, and everything. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens going into this game on on Monday, and the biggest thing I'm looking for is can this Vikings offense step up? Because 
we all know about the woes of the Chicago offense and all that kind of stuff. We all know about the woes of the Vikings defense, and that'll that'll be a storyline. But it's how can the Vikings stop? How can the Vikings uh, give an answer to the Bears defense when they shut down Dalvin Cook? Because there's a good chance it can happen. There's a good chance that I mean, Chicago is just too talented on defense for them to not tr- go wholesale stopping Dalvin Cook and at least have some success. So there's going to be some third and longs where Kirk's going to need to pull some magic or he's going to be able to to need to be able to just complete enough plays to keep the Vikings in the game, enough plays to be able to make them respect the pass to where they can run. And that's the thing. With Adrian, that was always the thing with Adrian Peterson. You know, just we need a quarterback that can pass enough to make him respect the pass so Peterson can run better. And it's like he never had those quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins is a capable quarterback. He's a capable quarterback. He's... You know, again, I've said, like, I think if they want to move on from Cousins, I'm not going to fault them for it. I've said Kirk Cousins is a quarterback with a lot of highs and lows, and the highs sell you, and the lows make you want to just throw him to the curb. But Kirk is capable. He is capable of doing this stuff. So he needs to be able to prove that in the Vikings' biggest game of the season so far on uh, on Monday. And it'll really tell us kind of if this team is a pretender or if they're actually looking to try and make some noise or if they're a team that's just kind of gotten on one of those mini hot streaks. So, So we'll find out. And um, I guess just kind of looking at this Vikings path to the playoffs. But before we do that, we'll, we'll talk about quickly about uh, about the off about the off or the Bears' offense. Sorry, words are hard today. Uh, about the Bears' offense and how bad they've been this year. Um, you know, they moved on from Mitch Trubisky. That's kind of been the the highlight of all that kind of stuff. And now they're on Nick Foles, which was very much expected. Uh, you knew Nagy was going to pull Trubisky the first chance he got in favor of Foles. And again, Nagy was. An Andy Reid offensive uh, coordinator. He was a, from the Andy Reid tree. Nick Foles was in Kansas City for a little bit while Nagy was there as well. Um, again, Andy Reid disciple. Nick Foles. Or Nick Foles was drafted by Andy Reid in Philadelphia, and then after jumping around a little bit, went to Kansas City to back up Alex Smith for a while before they drafted Mahomes. So he is a little bit of familiarity with Nagy before they came in. For for fans who don't know, so that's kind of why. Uh, you know, he can run this Andy Reid offense the the way Matt Nagy wants him to run it and all that kind of stuff. Um, so Nick Foles being the starting quarterback, but this offense has been so bad. They haven't been able to do anything. They've barely been able to generate offense. And it'll be interesting to see against a Vikings defense that isn't good. It's not great, but they've gone over the last couple of weeks from white hot dumpster fire to meh, below average which I think Zimmer will take at the end of the year. If he can say, this defense was a load of garbage, and at the end of the year, I turn him into, like, below-average, middle-of-the-pack kind of defense. It's like, give me a full off season, give, you know, with no, again, and I'll say it again, no minicamp, no uh, preseason, no training camp, all this kind of stuff. Okay, now hopefully next year we can be able to do all this kind of stuff again, and then we get another year, uh, you know, another chance to kind of reload with some of these corners and get maybe kind of a vet in there and all this kind of stuff, and and really kind of see where the secondary goes from there. So Zimmer's slowly starting to turn this around. Jeff Gladney had a good outing against the Lions. Now, again, it's it's the Lions, so we're trying not to make it sound like everything's back on track after beating a very bad Detroit team. Um, but it'll be interesting to see the secondary and if they can step up and the pass rush. That's been the two biggest things. The secondary has been a big question mark, but also, and both of these kind of play into each other, is the pass rush not being there. And I've said this before, the pass rush is the pass rush and the secondary help each other out a lot. You know, that's the biggest thing. What do you do when you have a bad secondary? You get a better pass rush because then less time for the quarterback to throw uh, means less time your corners have to cover or makes the, you know, again, just puts more pressure on the quarterback to make a bad throw or, or all this kind of stuff. And 
you know, so whether, you know, the secondary is not great. And then with no pass rush makes them have to cover longer, which just kind of leaves them high and dry. We haven't seen a lot from the pass rush this year. There have been little glimmers here and there, but it's been fairly non-existent. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can step up against this uh, offense. Um, and as, and against a quarterback, Nick Foles, who's been able to kind of turn some magic on the Vikings uh, here and there once in a while. Uh, now, Foles didn't play against the Vikings. The last time Foles played against the Vikings was the championship game. Um, Foles didn't. Carson Wentz played the last two times when the Vikings played him in 2018 and when they played him in 2019. So this will be the first chance of the Vikings to kind of get revenge on Foles, if you want to call it a revenge game, even though a lot of those players who are on that championship team aren't there anymore. Um, so uh, NFC championship game team aren't there anymore. But uh, anyway, let's talk about the Vikings path to the playoffs for the for the rest of kind of this Vikings segment here. Um, there is a path to the playoffs, but a lot has to go right. And we've talked about this before. In a season where a lot has gone wrong for you, you now you're basically saying everything has to go right and the stars have to align in a certain way. The NFC East, or the NFC, I should say. The NFC East is a dumpster fire, but outside of that, the teams are all kind of respectable. The NFC West is really good. Um, so again, there's just a lot of teams fighting for uh, playoff spots. You have the Rams, you have the Cardinals, um, you know, assuming the Seahawks will probably win the West. You have the Rams, the Cardinals, the 49ers will go down with uh, the in- all the injuries they have, but they- they're still a good enough team to be able to hang around. Um, you know, you have, again, the Bears you're competing for a playoff spot with. I think the Lions are basically dead, but you go, you know, the NFC East, whoever wins that division being the playoffs, nobody else is. So there's, you know, there's still chances, and then the NFC South has you know, Tampa Bay and New Orleans who are competing for the top spot, and one of them will get into the playoffs regardless, but then you have uh, Carolina who's trying to compete, and then you have, you know, you just have so much going on kind of with uh, with this team. There's there's just a lot, uh, and then there's one more team in the NFC, uh, the Falcons. Yeah, the Falcons are done. But, um, yeah, or the, actually, the Falcons have won a couple games, so they ha- they are kind of slowly creeping back into it, and the same of the Vikings fans feel like they're creeping back into it. So, I mean, again, which proves my point is there's a lot of teams that are really trying to fight for the playoffs, so it's not like the Vikings just have to beat one team. They have to overcome a lot of obstacles, and they have to overcome a lot of teams to get to this playoff spot. But let's let's break it down here. Um, so the, Cow- the Vikings... On Mon- so they're playing Monday night. They are playing uh, the they're playing the Bears. You know we all know that. Then next Sunday they are playing the Dallas Cowboys. Um, America's game of the week. I bet you the people at the NFL and Fox thought that was going to be a lot better game. Uh, you know in August than uh, than they do right now, with both teams being as bad as they are, at least uh, falling below expectations as bad as they have. Um, so let's say the Vikings get a win against Chicago. Let's say they beat the odds. They go in there. They get a win. So now they're four and five, okay? And the the Bears are five and four, whatever. So you're still in third place, but at least you're you're gaining ground. You're gaining momentum. It feels like the Bears are spiraling. Then let's say the Cowboys at home, um, you know, Gilbert or Dalton, whoever it is, Mike Zimmer, no, Mike Zimmer will be able to scheme up something good enough, uh, especially against Mike McCarthy. So let's say the Vikings win. They've gotten themselves, um, you know, from what was it? They were one and five at one point. Now they've kind of run the table. And they've won four in a row. Now they're five and five. Now they play the Panthers at home. Teddy Bridgewater comes back. Um, you know it'll be <clears throat> it'll be an interesting game for sure. The way the Panthers played the Chiefs, they're just so well coached. I think they probably come away with a win on that one. So now you're six. Now you're five and six. Then the Jaguars. You you there's a good chance you're going to beat them at home. 
So the Vikings are 6-6 six and six going into the final month of the season, which is fine. Like, it's doable, but again, you got to... <clears throat> you got to really go hard in the final month of the season where you're playing two teams that are going to be competing for the playoffs, three if you include the Bears. So then you play the Buccaneers in Tampa. There's a good chance you lose that game. There's a <clears throat> unless the wheels fall off uh for unless the wheels fall off for Tampa, you're going to lose to the Buccaneers. So now you're 6 and 7. And then let's say Bears at home. You beat them. You're 7 and 7. Okay? So now you need to win your final two games. And one of those games includes playing the Saints on Christmas Day in the Superdome who are competing for a playoff spot, probably competing for the division, possibly a first-round bye, whatever whatever thing you want to put in there. And they remember last year. Sean Payton is petty. They will remember last season's loss. They'll remember how the Vikings kicked them out. They're going to want revenge. The Vikings lose their 7-8. and eight. And then they beat Detroit at home to end the season. If Patricia's not fired, the Lions will probably be playing to get him fired. So they finish 8-8. Eight and eight which is respectable considering how you started the year. Like, it's a good effort on Zimmer, and it makes everybody think that they're headed in the right direction. Now, granted, people have also pointed out the Falcons did the same thing last year before starting as bad as they did, and then they fired Quinn. Um, But you could also make the case of Atlanta's just the choking mentality or just the way that they choked away games was more what lost it, more than just them losing the games themselves. It felt like he just lost control of the team where it felt like Zimmer still has control of this team, and Zimmer won't. For The Vikings have lost close games, but it was, like, you think about it, it was teams like the Titans who are good. It was teams like the Seahawks who are good. It was, it was like, okay, it's not like you blew a lead to the Bears or you blew a lead to the Cowboys or something like that. Like, these are, you know, they're better teams. So I, I don't think they're exactly the same, but I think the case remains of you still want to... It's not just the fact that you won games. You want to be able to see why you won games and the direction the team is going forward. So I think the Vikings, and that's saying that they beat Chicago, so they could lose to Chicago on Monday night. They could st- everything could still go the exact same way, and then they finish 7-9. and nine. And I think if everything goes right, kind of 9-7. and seven, I think that's the Vikings' best path. 9-7. and seven. If an extra playoff team is added, which they've talked about doing, if um, if kind of COVID derails any more of this regular season, they talked about doing that. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see kind of what that goes forward. So an extra playoff spot could open this up. But the things that these final playoff spots do is they give false... ...going in the right direction, and then your team does bad. Remember, the Vikings made the sixth seed in 2013. 2012-2013. They were the six. They made it in the sixth seed. They were 10-6. and six. They had a last-place schedule. They kind of, you know, they had some stuff go right for them. I think they, uh... I think when it was all said and done, I think they were like... F- I think they were... I can't even remember. I think they were like four and two in the division or something like that. So like again, a lot of stuff went right for them, and they made the playoffs. And it was like they're in the right direction. The Ponder, Frazier, all this kind of stuff. And then the next year they go like they go uh, five, ten, and one. And and Leslie Frazier gets fired. Christian Ponder gets uh, they don't dump him, but they move on from Ponder. They draft Bridgewater, bring in Zimmer, all this kind of stuff. So. Again, they can provide false hope. So you need to be able to make sure that this is still the the way that your organization is going. So it's going to be how the Vikings play this game. Do you see the secondary develop? Do you see the offensive line develop? Do you see Kirk Cousins, you know, be able to kind of be that quarterback? And I think the ship has sailed on him for that part, but can he at least provide enough to keep his job? And I think Kirk Cousins is great at doing that. He is great at just giving you enough to make him be like, well, we got to just kind of keep rolling with him. That's been, well, that's why he's been able to be a starter so long. He plays well enough to where like, we can't get rid of him. But he doesn't play great enough to where you're like, there's no controversy. Um, anyway, so that's the thing with the Vikings. 
Um, basically, here's my story. Here's the moral of the story. Here's what I want from the Vikings for the rest of the year. Either be good or be bad. Either go on this hot streak, make the playoffs, and try and make some noise, do whatever, or just lose. Like, pick one or the other. Because right now, the Vikings are going right down the middle. They are staring 7-9, and 8-8 eight eight, right in the face. And drafting at like 16 and taking a, and taking a nose tackle. Taking a three technique. You know, and, and that, and that again, that's, for the way that this team is, you could have put yourself in a position to draft in the top five, top ten, in a very quarterback deep draft class. Um, at a time when you definitely have question marks at that position, and where you have question marks about where the future of the organization is going forward, um, you know, so... Or you could decide to be good and decide to be like, this stuff works and we're on the right track and we're going to make the playoffs and we're going to show people that we're, we're back and we're fighting and all this kind of stuff and get going. So the point is, is pick one. Don't be 7-9, and 8-8 eight and, eight and staring this kind of mediocrity right in the face. Mediocre sports teams are worse than teams that consistently lose or consistently win because it's like you can never tell. They're good enough to keep you invested but never good enough to give you any rewards. At least some bad teams... You can kind of have the promise of, like, the future. Like, look at, like, the Chargers who keep losing a bunch of games, but at least they have the promise of Justin Herbert, and they have the promise of what the future looks like for them. You know, so I I don't know. Or, or like, the Bengals who, you know, again, they're losing games, but at least Joe Burrow looks like he can play. All this kind of stuff. Um, so either be good or be bad. Don't be in the middle. It's it's the worst place you can be. All right, let's move on to the Twins right now. Um, Oda Rizzi uh, for the Minnesota Twins should come back. And I'm going to explain why, because now free agency has begun, all this kind of stuff. Kent Maeda finished second place for the Cy Young. Uh, congrats to Shane Bieber, uh, who who won it. Trevor Bauer uh, won it in the National League side as well. Um, so again, props to Cleveland's uh, development department. I mean, man, they're really good at developing pitchers. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, so let's look at the Twins. Now looking at the Twins kind of free agency. Free agency has begun. Where does Trevor Bauer go? To the Twins land Bauer? Probably not, but we'll see. Um, anyway. So Odorizzi should come back for the Twins. He had a down year, injury-filled year, all that kind of stuff. But when you take a look at 2019, his, his first half of the season was great. He was a name to the All-Star game. Um, he, he went to the All-Star game, named to the All-Star team. Um, his 60-game stretch to start the year was just as good, if not better, than Maeda's was this year. So he definitely has the potential to be a good pitcher. And especially the fact of when you have Barrios and Maeda, you're basically telling Odorizzi he's in a very low leverage spot of like, you're the three starter. Like, you know, like it's not like you are having to be tasked with leading the rotation. You can be a guy, you can do your thing and the pressure's off. And, and that's not a knock on Odorizzi. It's like, Hey, just go out and pitch. Like teams are going to be preparing for Maeda, Barrios. You just go out and do your thing. And and, and Odorizzi is a good pitcher. I think if you have your top three guys being Maeda, Barrios, Odorizzi, that's a really good rotation. And the thing about Odorizzi is, and again, hearing rumblings from people who are way more connected into the Minnesota sports scene than I am, um, Darren Wolfson, who's a guy, he's kind of the Minnesota insider. I call him like the Adam Schefter of Minnesota sports, just because he's just because like if you want to, if you want kind of your scoop, if you want kind of that inside info for Minnesota sports, it's likely coming from him. And um, basically what he says is Odorizzi would like to come back, and I'm guessing the Twins have some mutual interest in bringing him back. They can bring him in on a cheap, easy one-year deal. Now, they paid him like $18 million in the qualifying offers. You know, again, and I don't know how much that got whittled down to with all the COVID season, but but again, the Twins would be willing to pay him kind of a, a one-year deal, maybe a deal that's got a player or uh, 
team option or like a, a like a dual option or something like that for a second year. Um, you know, just kind of a very low risk deal where it's like, look, this free agency class, this free agency year with COVID isn't going to be great. Um, you know, it was a 60 game season in which he didn't play a lot because of injury and that's not your fault. We still think you're a great pitcher. One more year. If you want to hit the open market, that's fine, but we're going to give you a flyer. We're going to give you one more. We're going to give you a one year deal or a, a two year deal, but the second year has got like a team and a player option and, you know, go out there and throw and, and let's see what happens. You know, I could very much see the twins doing that and it'd be a very cheap deal because again, he was hurt. He was all this kind of, you know, he was hurt. It was a very small sample size. He wasn't very good. So it's not like his, it's not like his price is going to be extremely high. You could probably get him for somewhere in that probably five to $8 million range for this season. And for the rate you were going to pay him last year, that's definitely a deal. And then to have Maeda, Barrios, Odorizzi as your top three guys. And then you can throw in Dobnek and a lefty. I mean, that's a big Mike. And I mean, I mean, you look at this twins rotation. They are, they're really good. They have they're deep because like now I'm just saying I'm like oh yeah Dobnak what's the future with him is he a bullpen guy or is he like a is he kind of like a spot starter guy like kind of what's his, you know what are they gonna do with him because you know and again do they bring Michael Pineda back that's kind of another thing and and all this kind of stuff so so there's a lot of you know there there's a lot of moving parts um, going into this season but I mean still there's a lot going on uh, kind of in free agency and with with um sorry I'm trying to find the right uh trying to find the right uh stat here I'm trying to pull up kind of free agents for this upcoming uh, free agent class um we're kind of looking at the big names Trevor Bauer Marcus Stroman you know all these kind of guys um who are kind of top of the line they're the they're the apple of the eye of this year's free agent class um the Twins probably aren't going to get either of them I'll be honest that doesn't mean the Twins won't make a play for him I think the Twins will try and see in numbers and they'll and if it's in their price range they'll definitely take a shot at them um i don't i don't see them landing bauer stroman i see them more as like they've uh kind of had an and again talks aren't too far advanced this year but they've talked to guys like charlie morton who pitched for tampa bay you know who's who pitched he did pitch for houston when they won the world series uh you know with the asterisk or whatever but he's you know, again, he's still got a guy with playoff experience. He's a guy who pitched for the Rays in the World Series. So he's a guy who has World Series experience with different teams. He'd be a decent enough guy to start. Um, I don't know. With, with the way that this team is constructed, um, you need to pay. And just the way baseball is in general, you will pay top dollar for starting pitching. But you do not pay for bullpen arms. I don't care how good the bullpen arm is. Unless they are Joe Nathan in his prime or Mariano Rivera in his prime or whatever, Paying a reliever just isn't worth it. In a day and age where you can claim a reliever off waivers like Matt Weisler and turn him into a top bullpen arm, you can get guys like Caleb Thielbar, who is, who is going to be a pitching coach for Augustana Baseball, you know, before coming back to the major leagues. He was pitching for the St. Paul Saints and all this kind of stuff, and you can develop them. It's very easy to take flyers on relievers and then spend and then use that capital and spend it on your rotation, and that's what the Twins should do. Um, and in this year, in this free agency class, it's going to be very different. Now, again, with COVID, revenue, the, the future is uncertain with COVID. And with revenues probably, you know, I'm going to guess being lower, not just from a baseball standpoint, but also from these billionaire owners who own businesses, real estate, whatever got them, whatever got them rich, it, there's a good chance that they're taking a hit due to everything going on. So deals probably won't be as big as they are in recent years. So if I'm players in this free agency class, I'm getting it done early. I'm getting all this done. Like I'm taking the first deal I get that's decent. 
It's probably a one-year deal and then just hit reset and we're going to try it again next year. I doubt that there's going to be a lot of players trying to get big money in this free agency class outside of Bauer. Stroman, or sorry, Stroman, I believe, just signed his qualifying offer. So he is going to be staying in New York. Um, so again, Bauer. Bauer's the top guy on this pitching market. There is a good chance he, I mean, there's a really great chance he gets the money. Now where he goes, that's yet to be seen. But he'll get his money, he'll get the years, he'll get everything. But everybody else, take the flyer, one-year deals, but, you know, get a modest price for yourself. But basically, bet on yourself in 2021 and hope that you'll be able to bounce back, have a great year, and then hit the open market when everything kind of returns to normal. At least that's the hope. Um, so the Twins and their biggest free agency decisions should be to find a lefty for the rotation. Rich Hill probably isn't coming back. Rich Hill was fine. He wasn't great. It was whatever. You know, he was he was a good teammate. I think he did some positive stuff for the team, but I don't think he's worth bringing back unless it's for very cheap. And even then, you probably put him in the bullpen or something like that. So I think with the Twins right now and with their kind of quest to get a lefty, there's a lot of guys they can look at. Do you get kind of those guys who are veterans do you get a guy, do you kind of pull a pull at, you know, like a classic Bill, I shouldn't even say pull, as a Bill Smith, Terry Ryan kind of move and be like, ah, John Lester's on the last leg of his career. Maybe we'll get him to kind of a, a you know, a cheap one-year deal. Now, John Lester probably have to be pitching for a couple more years to be able for the Twins to get down to his price range. But you guys have, you have guys like Lester, you have guys like Cole Hamels, guys like, guys with lefties with World Series experience, guys who aren't asking to lead a rotation, you're just asking them to be your solid lefty, because you at least need one lefty in your rotation. Um, J.A. Happ is a guy the Twins have shown interest in before, he's a free agent. Um, James Paxton, probably a little bit out of the Twins price range, especially with the depth that they already have at the position, um, but he'd be another guy the Twins could look into. Mike Miner, sounds like, he sounds like a really twinsy name, he had, uh, you know, pitched in Texas, and all this kind of stuff, um, you know, again, Twins Brain Trust, Falvin, you know, had connections with the Rangers, um, you know, working with the Rangers in that system, so a very good chance that, you know, he wants to come and play play up there, or a very good chance that you can use that, you know, the, that connection to, you know, to at least have that good memory of them, um, and here's one other option, which I think the Twins probably won't do, but it'd be a very Tampa Bay move, and again, Rocco Baldelli comes from the Tampa Bay kind of tree, is do you just bullpen your way through it until you figure something out until you call up a guy or you find kind of this rule five pick or you see something i mean maybe i i could see like you bullpen your way through and you're like we're just gonna throw a lefty kind of in the innings we need to have a lefty but otherwise we're just gonna you know we're just gonna do this you know i i, I don't see it but it could happen um, there's a lot of stuff going on I, with the Twins right now. The point is, is they need to bring a lefty in, and I don't know where that's going to come from. I don't know who that's going to be. Um, I could see a guy like I could see the Twins very much taking a chance on a guy like Mike Miner, a very low risk kind of one year deal, um, bringing him in. He has that kind of relationship with the Brain Trust already, and and just kind of sliding in as a guy who's going to pitch, you know, kind of in the back end of the rotation, probably a fourth or fifth starter, while you kind of have the rest of your guys do the heavy lifting. Um, so again, we'll, we'll see what this happens. And again, Odorizzi isn't coming back for sure. So there is very much a lot outside of Barrios and Maeda. There's a lot of question marks with this twins rotation. It'll all be solved, but it's just a lot of putting the pieces together. And how are the twins front office going to put together this puzzle for 2021? 
Now, uh, let's talk about the Wolves. Let's finish this uh, podcast out talking about them. The draft is one week away. I'm going to look the day up for sure, so I have it right for you guys. But the draft is one week away, and kind of the visits, and uh, I say this in the NFL draft a lot, um, it's lying season uh, for the NBA, which means the teams are constantly sending out fake rumors and fake reports and all this kind of stuff. Um, Less than a week away, Wednesday, November 18th is the draft. So teams are lying, prospects are kind of just, you know, whatever. They're trying to figure this whole process out. Um, reports to the media are often um, coordinated to try and scare other teams away. Um, so, <clears throat> or to try and scare other, te- or try and get other teams off your trail. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. I know there are reports saying that the Wolves want to take Wiseman, but they also want to take Ball, but they also want to take Edwards, but they also want to take this guy, and they're only going to do that if they trade down, but they want to trade down, maybe with the Hornets, maybe with the, you know, with uh, with all these other teams. So it's a very, I saw one trade possibility with the Hornets. That could very much be an option to move back to the number three pick. You could still, you'll still get Edwards and uh, or Ball. You'll still be able to get one of those two players. <clears throat> you'll be able to get a role player back. There's a report saying that the Wolves want two lottery picks. Now, again, they have the 17th overall pick. That's not a lottery pick, but they can use that. And Jarrett Culver um, is the main player I heard uh, to kind of try and move their way back in to get two lottery picks and to really kind of build this young team uh, forward in the way that the Wolves want to do. Um, so it'll be interesting uh, to see. <clears throat> and the most the most weird part about this is that the regular season is going to come back by Christmas. That was or kind of that late December kind of thing. There was reports saying it wasn't going to be till 2021. Now they're going to now they're going to bring it back early because the NBA wants to be able to capitalize on that uh, on that period when the NFL winds down and uh, <clears throat> they want the regular season to be in full swing. So or when the NFL winds down, they want to be able to be in full swing uh, kind of in that time of the year. Um, but it's going to be a rush free. The draft is already Wednesday. Um, and then you have free agency after that. And it's going to feel rushed the entire way through. It's going to feel rushed. It's going to feel chaotic. It's going to feel whatever teams are just kind of going to try and throw themselves together to try and get ready. And I saw this thing where, uh, or I heard this where it was like player, uh, players who didn't get into the bubble have like over 270 days of rest before they have to go to training camp, or at least have had over this many days of rest already. Whereas guys like the Heat and the Lakers, so LeBron, Jimmy Butler, all those kind of guys, they have about 60 to 75, like 75 days of rest or something like that, or in that kind of time frame, before they have to start getting ready for the new season. And it's like that, the wear and tear on some of those guys, I mean, LeBron already kind of just basically coasts until the playoffs anyways, but I expect him to basically kind of no-show his way through the first month or two of the season just basically only playing primetime games or big matchup games which will end up being primetime because it's LeBron and the Lakers but it'll be an interesting uh it'll be an interesting kind of early start to this season um so we'll see what happens but working our way back to the draft I think the Wolves the Wolves are want to trade down they don't want the number one overall pick this isn't a draft where you have that bona fide superstar there's a lot of good players in this draft but no bona fide superstar so having the number one overall pick um doesn't help them as much, and it also doesn't help them in trading because there is no number one player. Now, there is James Wiseman, the center from Memphis. Now, he said he doesn't... There are reports saying he doesn't want to play for the Wolves. I don't know if that's true or not, if he really doesn't, but those are what the reports are saying. So um, there's a good chance maybe a team trades up like Charlotte to get Wiseman with the number one overall pick. Um, So it'll be interesting to kind of watch as that one unfolds. I think the Wolves need to be able to get out of here with role players and... 
injecting kind of that young superstar. I think the Wolves need to trade the number one overall pick. They'll still be able to get some good players, but they'll need to be at veteran depth. So you have Cat, you have D'Angelo Russell, you have kind of, you know, if you bring back Beasley in for agency, we'll have to kind of see how that goes. But you have your two guys, and then you kind of have some guys who will fall in behind. So you need to get role players to help you with leadership and defense, like defensive veteran leadership, and be able to kind of just help guide this team that doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. I mean, D'Angelo Russell doesn't really have any playoff experience. Cat has basically zero playoff experience. Um, so especially with them kind of leading the way. So they need to be able to get some kind of veterans in there, all this kind of stuff, guys who are kind of going to pave the way on defense and and all this kind of stuff. 3 and D is basically, I've been saying that, the Wolves just kind of need to go 3 and D with their whole approach to getting guys because they already have the centerpieces. Now they need to be able to get kind of those pieces around to kind of really uh, really puff them up and really make them a team team <clears throat> that's on the right track here in the West. Now they're trying to play kind of that Rockets style of shooting threes and constantly, you know, Constantly shooting threes and, and you know, kind of just the more modern way, especially getting away from the Tibbs approach and, and getting away from a team that was built in the image of Tibbs. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where Rosas goes. He's a guy who likes to wheel and deal, likes to do all this stuff. So I'm expecting it'll be pretty exciting on draft day. So uh, we should have some answers the next time we do the podcast or not. We'll find out. But uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back here next week. And uh, thank you guys again for listening. And uh, we'll see you guys on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.